Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. What I feel like the Lord's given me to talk to you guys about, um, the title of this uh, message this morning is to stay the course. I thought it would be appropriate as we kick off this new year's Westside and our church would be to just talk about keeping on, keeping on, and keeping going where we're going. Um, and we'll, I'll address a couple things, but um, let's pray, and we'll get into it, okay? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can have fun in church, play some games, and, and, and just love on each other and be excited about this new year. Will you help uh, what I've already prayed? I've already prayed this, Lord, but... Uh, just speak through me. Let your truth and your spirit do what it does, the things that I can't do. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been truly lost. Raise your hand if you've ever been, I mean, truly lost, lost, okay? Now, what I mean by that is, um, <laughs> is so of those hands, how many of those hands were lost more in a wildernessy situation, like on a hike or a bike ride? Not just necessarily like driving somewhere where you didn't get the directions. Okay, it's a little different. You guys can probably attest. It's a little different when you're lost in the wilderness. I wanted to tell you a quick story um, to kick us off here. I was, used to be a really, really avid, serious mountain biker. When I lived in Pennsylvania, I rode every day, did a couple races even, just got really into it. Um, I, what's kind of funny is even the, the bike that I had was uh, when I would have it in the garage. Some of you guys that have nice bikes can appreciate this. I had it in my garage right next to my motorcycle. I had a 1100 Shadow. That was, if you don't know what that is, it's, it was sort of made to look like a soft tail Harley. So it was a big bike in my garage, okay? And I loved it, 1100 Shadow, big bike, but I got a really good price on it. Well, my mountain bike was right next to that, you know, so big motorcycle, little mountain bike, or mountain bike, you know, and the mountain bike was like almost three times the price of, of the motorcycle. So I had a lot of money into it. In fact, in fact do you wanna see what it looked like? You guys wanna see my bike? Okay, let's, let's take, look at that. Pretty sweet, right? Pretty exotic. That, that bike, I, have, I logged a lot of miles on that bike. Uh, it got stolen in Springfield when I moved here. I, used to, I lived in Springfield. So you see anybody riding this? <laughs> just go ahead and tackle them. Just tackle them and say, hey, I know who owns this bike. And, just, and I'm sure they'll give it back to you. Um, anyway, I'm on a ride with a friend. Uh, it's a Saturday, uh, the guy I rode with every day in Pennsylvania, a place called Ricketts Glen. We had, I had been given this kind of a trailhead map um, from somebody at work, and it was just a, just a makeshift map written on some paper. Had a parking area where you could park your car, and then it had the trail and just kind of a drawing, and it was just this loop, and it was supposed to be like a 15-mile loop, maybe take two hours or something like depending, you know. And so we head off onto this ride, and somehow we missed the turn on, you know, where the trailhead started. And we were just talking, enjoying this ride, you know. And next thing you know, it was like, hey, you know, we are still going straight. Like, we, we didn't hit the trailhead. And it was weird because just as we hit, 
As we said that to each other, there was this trailhead up, and I was like, well, maybe it's that. It seemed strange, because it seemed way further than it was supposed to be, which it was. So we go off on that, and now we are heading into the most wildernessy that Pennsylvania gets. Nothing like Oregon. Uh, Oregon, we have some serious wilderness here. Pennsylvania doesn't, but there, I mean, it was as wildernessy as Pennsylvania gets. And we are riding and riding and riding, and isn't this fun, and isn't this kind of strange, and, and, you're, and you're like, I'm safe-o-meter, starts to go like this, you know? And as it starts to look like it's maybe starting to get dark, we're like, you know what? We are, uh, this isn't cool anymore. Uh, we started to, to fret <laughs> a little bit, and that turned into bona fide fear. I was telling Nathan we actually got to a point where we prayed on the trail. If you're praying on a bike trip, mountain road, that's not good. I'm sorry. I mean, like, yeah, pray all the time. You know what I mean. Uh, we were in trouble. We were in trouble. Uh, it, it, was, it was bad. And so we finally find this fire road, and we're like, okay, this fire road is either heading even further into the hills or at least going into civilization somehow. And so we, fortunately, we made the right turn. We find this old house, rickety, weird, the whole thing. You know, I'm like, well, I'm sure there's people buried in the basement there. I, but we were like, doesn't matter. We're desperate, right? So we knock on the door. And sure enough, there's this guy. So he opens the door, super nice guy, and say, hey, we are, we are really lost. We're lost by several hours, Okay. Uh, and miles. And I show him the map. Now, this isn't the map, but this is what the map looked like. I remember it full well. Kind of looked like that. Just sort of somebody wrote it up for us. Okay? This is where you park. Make sure you hit this trailhead and come back to where you park. That's what a loop does. It's 15 miles, whatever. So I said, hey, can you, do you know where this parking spot is? He said, oh, yeah, I know where you parked. I'm like, well, can you, can you tell us on this map kind of maybe where we are? And he goes, mm, yeah, you're here. Like, oh, <laughs> okay. It didn't help, by the way, that a week before, I'll be careful how I tell this story with the children in the room, a week before I'd read an article in Bike Magazine, I used to read Bike Magazine all the time, about two guys that saved up for years to do a big Moab trip. A lot of mountain bikers, it's like, that's like, you know, paradise to go to Moab and try to ride around there. Moab's really deserty. These two guys got, they didn't tell anybody where they were. They headed off, didn't have any maps or anything, got lost, and they got found days later, both of them laying on the trail, gone. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, be nice. Not alive anymore. And it, I remember reading that article, and it nailed me because it was like, man, can you imagine how bad it would be? You're with your friend, and you're both watching each other. Like, this is crazy. How can we be in this situation? How can we be here? Nobody around, and we're literally watching each other pass away. And I remember that really nailed me. Great, I read that article a week before we get lost, and I'm like, this is us. <laughs> like, this is going to be us. No food, no shelter, nothing. Uh, it, was, it was terrible. Anyway, um, I tell you that story and, 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 the, and the idea of why this talk today, okay? We have been at Westside talking a lot about discipleship, being a disciple, and sort of it's been in a thread 
kind of through the messages we've had as we went through Mark and as we went through James, that kept popping up, what it means to be a disciple. I feel like the Lord has been clearly calling us to discipleship. Now, that's nothing new. I mean, he's been doing that forever. But I feel like there's been this, this constant call to this church, re- remember this, to like stay on this, set the course, stay the course about being a disciple. Now, for us, we are living in a time, let's just face this, we're living in a time where our, our communities and our, and our just people groups that we have around us are... Uh, almost offended at the idea of us claiming that we have the truth and that we're not lost. There's almost this ideology today where it's like, hey, we ought to all just admit you don't really know the truth. You don't really know anything. We're all kind of just lost, so let's eat, drink, and be merry, and don't tell me that you have the corner market on the truth. That's almost offensive. It's why a lot of people get so offended at the church. Because we believe that we have the truth. This isn't, faith doesn't mean that you're, you're heading for something that doesn't make any sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. There is sufficient evidence to believe everything that I believe. And I, I will argue that. I love apologetics. I will sit and argue with anybody. Not argue like, eh, but I mean, I will sit and debate and explain that there is sufficient evidence for every single thing that I put my faith in. Problem is, we can't empirically prove it scientifically. But once you get to that level of philosophy about trying to empirically improve anything, you're in a state of skepticism that nobody's ever going to really buy any kind of thing for proof. That's just where you're at. Um, you, can, you can give them all the scientific facts. You can give them all the philosophical facts. It doesn't matter. If you're going to be in that skeptical mindset, you're basically going to turn away everything. And that's what we're running into with our society today. Now, so our church already has to run into that. Our church is already dealing with that, and so is everybody else. But I'm just saying our church is dealing with that, right? But also Westside is dealing with not having a pastor. Um, we've been going a while now. There's been discouragement over that. Like, like I'm not afraid to deal with the elephant in the room. I've been discouraged myself um, because it feels like we're a flock or sheep or something like that that are wandering, and wandering feels like being lost. Is a really easy temptation for this church to head into this year with discouragement and sort of this like, wow, Lord, you're just letting us kind of wander. That's a really easy temptation to feel that way. And, I, and I, if you feel that way, man, I'm, I'm with you. And that's partly why I wanted to talk today on what I'm talking on. We are facing the normal stuff of society, but we're also facing a, a pretty unique situation right now as we're looking for a pastor. Um, so, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a moment to re, sort of reground, re-plug in what we are about at Westside. What it means, not necessarily what it means to be a disciple, we'll talk about that a little bit too, but what we are about. It doesn't matter what programs we end up starting or stopping this next year, it doesn't matter who comes to be our shepherd. It, that, none of that matters. This is still going to be ground level, foundational, basement level, concrete Christianity 101. And I wanted to kick off the new year making a stand on this. Does that make sense? 
So it's sort of like, we are January 1st, let's first stand on this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to quick, quick, take a quick look. It's only four verses at the Great Commission in Matthew, okay? Um, and we're going to start there, and then hopefully I'll have time, I'll just kind of wrap things up with some kind of cool information that, I, like I said, I'm going to probably try to go fast here because I'd like to get to that part, but I have ways of making that shorter too. But let's talk about Matthew 28. That's where the Great Commission is, if you, if you look it up in your Bibles, but it'll be on the screen too. I'd like to go through verse by verse real quick, just highlighting one thing from each of them pretty much, um, just sort of as a, as a, a stance or uh, this, is, this is where we stand, uh, particularly when it comes to this idea of let's stay the course and then like not get off the course, not get lost and not wander. Okay? Everybody with me? You get, see what I'm saying? Okay. So the Great Commission starts in Matthew 28, starts in verse 16. Um, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. That mountain, most scholars believe, was Mount Arbel. I think I'm saying that right. Arbel. Could be Arbel. Um, can we, I have a picture of Mount. There it is. Um, right, right off the Sea of Galilee and and. Uh, there's a lot of history with that that I won't get into for time. Just some pretty neat things if you feel like looking it up if you're a history guy or a woman. It's kind of fun to look at some of the things. There's a lot that went on at that. But standing at the top of it would have given you a view over the entire Sea of Galilee and all the cities surrounding. There's a, there's a, there's a, I mean, it makes sense that Jesus would maybe call these guys up to this, particularly with what he's about to tell them, okay? So verse 17 It says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Some doubted. Isn't that fascinating? Just take a second there. We have been saying at our church, if you're new with us or if you're kind of whatever, we've been kind of talking about in this last year that, especially when we hit Mark, um, in Mark 9, is the place where the man said, "I, I believe, but help my unbelief. We've been sort of being like okay with that here. Like, like, let's keep pushing to believe. But hey, Jesus isn't making us feel stupid or, or condemning us when we say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to believe this. I'm struggling here. Well, this, I love that it's written here by Matthew. These are the 11 disciples. These are the guys that are seeing Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? These are the guys. I've often said, well, they had it easier than me. My faith has to be in something I've never seen before. These guys saw it. Some of these guys probably saw him on the cross, and now they're seeing him and worshiping him. But Matthew includes, but, you know, some, some doubted. What did they doubt? I wonder what they doubted. But I love that they added that. It's okay to be human. It's okay to go, this stuff is so far above my head, I don't get it. Okay? That's okay sometimes. That doesn't mean that you're lost. It doesn't even mean that you're wandering. You see what I'm saying here? This is included with the 11 disciples. There's not an, another 11 people on the, that ever lived that got this opportunity to hear Christ before he left. Okay? And he says some doubt it. Maybe it was Matthew. Sometimes these guys would write. And maybe it was Matthew going, hmm, I kind of had some doubts in my head, but I'm going to write some doubted. So I'm not just like putting myself out there. I just think that's beautiful. I just wanted to point that out. I think that's beautiful, and it sure frees me up to be a human being. Um, Then he goes on to say, um, in 18, 
And then Jesus came, came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I just want to say really quick, uh, that word authority we've seen before in our study in Mark 6, when Jesus sends out his disciples and he gives them power. The actual Greek word there is power, is exousia, power. And, and some of you don't care, that's cool. Some of, some of you might be interested in the fact that it's a little different than the dunamis power that we're, what we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit, like an axe. That's a different word for that. This word is kind of cool because the difference is that it's more about, and I love this word for what Jesus is saying, jurisdiction. It's a royal power. It's a, I have the right to say this, and I have jurisdiction, and Jesus is saying right here, has been given to me over heaven and earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have full jurisdiction over everything you can possibly see. Pretty cool. Pretty cool word for authority there. And he says in 19, and this is where we're going to, this is where we really see uh, what Jesus is now saying. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, the actual Greek there is he's actually saying, go teach the nations. But I just wanted you to see, uh, just for fun, that the word teach in Greek is so close to the word disciple. If you, I think we have, yeah, we have them up there. Um, Mathetio um, or mathetis, again, when I try to pronounce Greek. If there's any Greek scholars out there, don't throw darts at me. But they're basically, they're, they're, they're like brothers, those words. Um, so there's an idea that as a disciple we're to follow, but we're also would be teaching. We're supposed to be bringing other people along. So we're following hard after Christ, and we're bringing people along. That's the idea. And so what are we supposed to be teaching? This is, this is, this is verse 20. Um, oh, I wanted to say really quick about authority too. Let me just read you this. This is just kind of cool. I knew I was going to... Uh, I knew I was going to skip over this, and I didn't mean to. Philippians 2, 19, or 9 through 11, we don't have it on the screen, um, is just where Paul talks about Christ's authority. Therefore God was highly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's like Paul saying this is God's stamp of approval of, over this authority. But anyway... So what are the, there's two things that we're supposed to teach, um, and, and it's in verse 20. So here we go. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to be disciples following hard after Christ. We are supposed to be teaching. The first thing is um, to observe, to observe. That word is tereo. It's, it's better. It's a better pronunciation or translation of that word, uh, to, to say preserve. Instead of observe, preserve, or guard, it's actually like a military term. It's like holding the line militarily. Like you stand fast, you hold fast, you, you, you preserve. So when you, hear, when you hear that word, and Jesus is saying that with his commandments, it's saying hold fast, preserve, hang tight, stand on every word I've ever said. Okay? And then he says the second thing is that I'm with you even to the end of the age. And that's, that's a lot like almost like a term of endearment. Like when I, if somebody says I love you to the moon and back, or I, I would climb any mountain to, you know, which none of that's possible. But it's like a term of endearment. That's kind of what Christ is saying. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. The only way that really makes sense is like I'm going to be with you forever. Look. Okay, so I'm moving fast. But that is Christianity 101. That is where we stand. 
Everything else comes afterward. Everything else comes afterward. We stand on the teachings of Christ. We hold fast to the teachings of Christ. If you're somebody who holds fast to the teachings of Christ, guess what you're called? You're called a disciple. And that's where you stand. That's where you don't get lost. Okay? It's so important. It seems so simple. But, that's what, but, but this is, like, like I said, January 1st, we're starting off on the right foot. This is where we're going to stand as a church. Look, it's one thing to be directionally lost or geographically lost, like we talked about when I was on my bike. Um, it's another to be ideologically lost or spiritually lost. Like, like I, I feel like what we have so many people doing today, whether it's because they were offended at something that happened in church or whether it's because they don't understand stuff, they start listening to all kinds of outside sources. Not that they're all bad. I'm not saying that. I mean, I, listen, I literally listen to some things where I disagree with most of the things they say just to stay balanced and to hear what's going on out there, okay? But I'm grounded in this. This is my map. But so many people today, this is the map, and just like when I asked the guy, where, where are we? They're here. We have too much of that right now. We have to have, this is our map, this is it, so simple. This, Jesus' teachings, that's what we can stand on. If you don't read anything else in the Bible this year except the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that's all you read every day, more power to you. Start there. Start with what Jesus said. Everything about what Jesus said informs the rest of this map. It's everything. It's everything. Real quick look. I want to do a really quick look because one of the things that I... That, I, that being spiritually lost can happen so easily and even can happen to good people and good groups of people. I, I'm thinking of the Pharisees. Um, quick, quick run through history real fast. Um, this is the part that I, I will try to, I'll try to condense a little bit for time. But um, it's important. I want, I want you to see like who the Pharisees were because they get a bad, they get a bad rap sometimes, sometimes deservedly, but they, they also get, they get thrown in with other people that they probably shouldn't. Look, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this is going to be an oversimplification of history, so if you're a history buff or a teacher or something, forgive me, okay? But between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's about 400-some years of what they call the silent years there. And what you saw there, uh, particularly with Alexander the Great, and then when Alexander the Great died, was this rise of, a, of an ideology called Hellenism. We've talked about it before here. Hellenism is fascinating to study because one of the things about Hellenism that's really interesting is that uh, if you were to just Google when did Hellenism kind of die out, when did it end, you'll see different things from different historical people who say, well, we think it might have been the Byzantine area, or these, or this, or that. But you'll also see lots of articles that say, we don't really know for sure when it ended. I think that's because it hasn't ended. I think we're living in the Hellenistic period right now. I think it never ended. And that's because what happened was the focus became from a Greco-Roman ideology who had many gods, polytheism. They began to switch from we live for them to please them to they're there to please us and we're we're all about us sound like somebody right so uh and then so one of the good things about hellenism in some ways is that it gave a rise to health care 
Uh, they became really interested in staying healthy, which hadn't been something that was that much talked about. Education and science. You get a lot of science in education, um, particularly in philosophy and different things like that. And then you had the entertainment field, like entertainment picked up. You had like art was huge. Art became huge. Everybody was doing art, statues, all kinds of stuff. And then competition in sports picked up, okay? And again, that's all stuff we could talk about. But what you had here, so you have like a Greco-Roman idea, Greco-Roman idea, and the Jewish people, particularly the Jewish leaders, trying to figure out how do we deal with this, okay? In the simplest way. There's a lot going on. You had somebody like Herod the Great who was adding on to the second temple. He was rebuilding and doing all these cool things, but then all of a sudden, I can imagine people like going, you know, that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> or, hey, wait a minute, there's a lot of pagan stuff going into the temple, you know? So here you have the, the Judaistic leaders trying to decide, how do we deal with Rome? How do we deal with Greece right now? How are we supposed to approach this? And what you had is five different divisions, probably more than five, but at least five different divisions that kind of broke off in different ideologies of how they were going to deal with Hellenism. And here, here they are. Let me just say them really quick, and there's a reason I'm getting to it, okay? You had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more wealthy, and they sort of got kind of snuggled up with Rome. Their whole thing was, hey, there's a lot of power in what we say and do, and there's a lot of power in the Roman Empire. Let's kind of marry up to them, and we'll kind of both work things out together. So they kind of stayed with the temple, and the rebuilding with the temple, and they didn't mind the paganistic stuff coming in, and they got really corrupt because there was money and government involved and religion, all that stuff. They got really corrupt, the Sadducees. Sadducees are actually probably mostly the group that was responsible for killing Jesus or, or having that happen. Yeah, the Herodians, I won't go into them. There was a group that broke off. They were more just sort of like uh, what we are today. They, they said, hey, this is cool. This Hellenism's cool. Um, this is, let's embrace it. So you had Sadducees embracing it, the Herodians embracing it, and they sort of what they did is they sort of... Um, uh, compartmentalized their faith and then also the social things that were going on, okay? Trying to move fast. You had the Essenes. Essenes are cool. Uh, they, they flat out rejected it. But their move was to get away from it all, to separate themselves completely and to focus completely on the scriptures. And what they contributed to us is like the Dead Sea Scrolls and what we can trust as really good historical documentation because they, that's all they did. They didn't even really interact with people. It's not like they had like a mission to go tell anybody anything. They just, they just, that's what they did. Pretty cool people, but they weren't really very good for society, okay? The zealots and the Pharisees are the last two. They were part of this thing called the Hasidim. They, they were the, the pious ones. Both of them out and out rejected Hellenism, but the zealots did it violently. Like they were like, you know, where somebody else was like, they got into bed with Rome, the zealots was like, kill Rome. Like, we, like if you don't like it, they were even like, hey, we'll, we'll kill other Jews if we have to, if they're not following things. Okay, this is super speedy to get to the Pharisees, okay? Here's what I want you to know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees out and out rejected Hellenism. Ching, act one, pretty good, right? That's pretty good that they rejected it. Then they said, we're going to completely, 100% dedicate ourselves to Scripture and to the oral traditions that we've had that came off of Mount Sinai itself. And we are going to absolutely live to the T to this because we want to please God. You know, another good home run there, right? Good stuff. Pharisees, yeah, way to go. On paper, the Pharisees looked like they were doing the right stuff. Jesus comes along. Now, here's the problem. 
the way they dealt with Rome, they, they saw the zealot, their zealot brothers want to kill Rome. They were saying, we will let God deal with Rome when we become pure enough as a people to finally allow God to come in and do something to Rome, and we can't wait to see it. But that's what made the Pharisees look at the sinners of the, of the community. That's what made them look at them all like, how can you do this? They would treat them so badly and so condemningly because every time they'd see a sinner, like a, like a tax collector or a prostitute, they would look at him as, you're the reason God hasn't done anything with Rome yet. You're the reason. And so that's how they treated people. They also had this, you know, because they were so stickler of like the, of like the old, of, you know, old law stuff that they also like they would look at a leper and be like, you're that way because of sin. You're dirty. Stay out of our town. That's how they treated people. So while they were still trying to be letter of the law people and reject the humanism and the garbage that was coming out of the Hellenistic way, they, they also had no compassion in their heart, no love in their heart. Like they were, they, were, they were missing something. Now, Jesus comes along. Can you imagine being a Pharisee thinking you're getting it right? And now when Jesus comes along, you are the people that he picks on the most. You're the people that he comes and says, you guys just don't get it. You guys are, he called them whitewashed tombs. Because all they care about is what's on the outside and not on the inside. I so can appreciate that because with the way I was raised and my conservative upbringing, not the conservative, I'm not trying to say it's all wrong or anything, but I was raised in a way that what mattered was how good I made God look. Like I'm carrying God with me, so I need to make him look good as if he needs me to make him look good. So I can't, I can't, I can't swear. Even if I stub my toe, you don't swear. You don't go watch R-rated movies. You don't drink. You don't smoke. You don't do, like, no, oh, those are all bad testimonial things. Now, maybe those are good things to abstain from, but not in the way that I was. It was because I felt like I'm a good person if I just look good on the outside. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus called them out on that. I help Gretchen clean right now. I'm out of work. Um, I, I finally quit construction work. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting, as if you, I won't go into this, I'm getting surgeries uh, here in this next month on my arms to get, because I, you guys don't know it, but my hands are almost gone. They're so numb and all this stuff, so it's really hard for me to play, and I'm getting all that fixed, so it's really cool. But so in the meantime, I'm helping Gretchen clean some of the offices that she does, and I had to learn the appropriate approach, <laughs> because Gretchen goes into an office, and she cleans the office. I would go into an office and I would try to make it look clean. You see the difference? Oh, there's some dust. You know what I mean? Oh, this has some dust. Somebody will see that. Okay? Gretchen goes, picks stuff up, cleans behind, you know. So I had to learn how to clean things, but it's so, I so appreciate it. That's like what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus went hard after those guys. And look, all I'm trying to say is here are people that on paper they would have looked like they were doing the right thing. And they were completely ideologically and spiritually lost. They were lost. And it's so easy for us to get like that. So easy to get for us to like and, and you know the way not to? Stay on the map. Stay on the map. Jesus' teachings. Jesus' teachings. My favorite part of scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm concluding here. My favorite part of scripture, I hang my hat on this part of scripture. It's Christian, I keep on saying Christianity 101. This is it. The foundation, you start here. You start anywhere else, you're going to be in trouble. You start here. It's in John 6. Jesus had just fed lots of people. And then the crowds, the multitudes, meet up with him again. And they're sort of saying, Jesus, hey, man, like do another miracle. 
It's actually one of the funnier parts in Scripture because Jesus, I feel like, is toying with them a little bit. He's like, oh, you guys, what kind of, what do you want? And they're all like, hmm, well, you know, you, you gave Moses manna in the wilderness. How about some food? I mean, it's like totally clear these guys are like hungry and they're just like, hey, let's get Jesus to do another one of those food miracles. Because I'm sure the bread that Jesus made was pretty good. So they're, they're, they're offering suggestions. Hey, how about some food, Jesus? And Jesus that day decides not to give anybody a miracle. No miracles. And Jesus starts saying this wacky stuff. You need to eat of me, right? You need to eat of me. I'm the bread of life. And they're all looking at each other like, how are we going to eat him? Like, they're not getting it. They're like, literally, I feel like it was like a Monty Python sketch. They're like, oh, what you, does anybody, you know, does anybody know how we should cook him? Because I don't know. Like, they were so all about food. And Jesus, and so you can see his disciples, they're probably like, Jesus, you have an opportunity here to do another big thing, man, let's do this. And he doesn't. He denies them a miracle. And in the worst verse in the Bible, John 6, 66, and I remember it because of the 666, it's the worst verse in the Bible. It says many of his disciples left him that day. Many of his disciples decided, I'd rather be out here. I'd rather wander around. I'd rather kind of use this as like, yeah, I remember some of the stuff that said, but I'll wander around here. Many of his disciples left him that day. And Jesus in, in, in verse 67 turns to the guys that are still there, and he says, you guys leaving too? You guys remember what Peter said? We have a verse for it. Peter answers and says, you have the words of life. Who else are we going to go to? To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. To understand in your heart, Jesus Christ alone has the words of life. And that's where Westside needs to stand. That's where Westside needs to continue on course with that. Anything else that looks like anything else, I'm telling you right now, we need to, uh-uh, that's not, that's going to work. And anything else that maybe turns into a rabbit trail, we have so many rabbit trails these days, where we're like, how do we find our way again? We come back, back to Christ, back to the teachings of Jesus where we're safe. Everybody see what I'm saying? I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish with just reading, you guys can just, we're almost done. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to finish by reading Psalm 19, 9 through 16. That's how I'm going to finish. I want you to listen to these words that the psalmist wrote long before this all happened, what we talked about today. But it's all in here. It's all in the psalms long before. So listen to these words, and I'll close in prayer, and we'll get out of here, okay? Sorry I went a little bit long. Um, We kind of started late. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure, or a young woman keep his way pure, her way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. And I will not forget your word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, so, so um, help us do that. 
please, God, I know it's what, what you want from us, and I know that that's the direction that we need to uh, start from and move towards as we head into this next season. Lord, I ask for help in areas where we might be discouraged or wonder what's going on or, or when things are going to happen. Lord, um, help us to be encouraged by the fact that this crowd alone this morning shows things are happening right now. It's not a wait thing. It's like a, a keep moving, keep going kind of thing. So would you help us with discouragement? Would you help us with the feeling that maybe it's hopeless or things like that? And help us to, to just keep moving on and stay in the course. Thank you so much for every single person in this room. It's so easy to love everybody here. Lord, I know you love them, and I, it's just they're awesome people. Thank you. Help us have a great new, new year. In Jesus' name, amen.